All right. So we just did our reading of Humiliation Play by Charlie O'Leary. And we have the playwright, the director, our cast, and our friend Chuck DeFano. Say hi, Chuck. Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're just going to go around and everybody introduce themselves and we can, we can pop it to each other. So Charlie, go ahead and introduce yourself and, and uh, yeah, tell us about your, your, your role in the production here, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my name's Charlie O'Leary, he, him, and I wrote the play. Hey, my name is Ann Kreitman. I directed the play and I use she, her. Hi, my name is Claire Boston. I played Katie during the reading, and uh, oh, I'm a she, her. I'm Andrew Lund. I played Colin in the play, uh, and I use he, they pronouns. My name is Brandon Trevino. I was Justin in the play, and I use he, him pronouns. Wonderful. And I'm Colin Maddox. I'm the person that you heard saying all the stage directions, and I use he, him pronouns. Um, <laughs> So yeah, we just got uh, this reading done. It was a wonderful job. Great job, everybody. And I'm so excited that we got to do this script. Uh, it's a really incredible script, and I'm glad that we had this team together to kind of bring it to life. So one of the questions I kind of want to start out with, and, and, and Chuck, I will, we'll just trade off here if that's all right by you. Um, so one of the questions I kind of want to start out with is for Charlie, um, can you talk a little bit about the... Um, genesis of how this play came about and how you started writing it? Yeah. Um, so I originally wrote, I wrote the first draft of this play in 2015 for a project called the Brooklyn Generator. Um, and uh, that project gathers six playwrights over a period of six months. And each playwright is assigned a month. And then that playwright gathers a director and cast and writes a play specifically for that cast over the course of 30 days. Uh, and then you do a reading of the first draft of the play at the end of 30 days. Um, so that's uh, sort of the situation around the play. And, and what I was interested in exploring was um, the ethics of kink play, uh, and especially uh, cases where a fetish uh, sort of seems like it might be orbiting non-consent. How does one engage uh, in a kink that is like consensual non-consent um, was, was interesting to me. Um, and I was also interested in just what shame does to a person, um, shame around sexuality and the sort of violence that can result of that both internally and externally. Um, and, uh, and I think I was also just listening to a lot of this American life at the time. And so I became interested in the intersection of like sexual ethics and journalistic ethics and uh, just sort of like the question of why do we as people have an inclination to humiliate one another? Wow, that's really great. Uh, yeah, I definitely got, I had forgotten you mentioned about um, Fresh Air and NPR and I, I very much got that vibe now looking back, thinking of Katie's whole characterization. That's really cool. Um, Chuck, I'm going to hand it over to you. What's up? <clears throat> well, I, I really enjoyed the play very much and uh, your performances as well. Um, something that comes out is actually is for the um, for Anne and for Andrew and for Brandon, just more with your as director and the, and and, um, and Colin and um, and um, Justin. That um, there's a lot of power and vulnerability that Colin and Justin both have over each other. I'm just curious, how did that play out in both the casting and in your, and in your performances? 
And you want to take the lead on that? Yeah. Um, one thing that I, we talked about uh, in rehearsal was where Justin and Colin are at in terms of exploring and accepting their own identity. Um, Justin is definitely older. Um, I think that he has come to terms with um, his own queerness, his own um, desires within the kink community, whereas Colin, I think, is stepping his foot into the pond for the first time, which is really scary. And having grown up exploring your, you know, me, myself, having explored my own queerness, my own relationship to kink over the internet, I know that it can become a very compartmentalized um, situation in your life that you're not used to sharing with other people. So you're bringing your own shame, your own self-hatred to a very intimate relationship with another person. And that requires a lot of courage. And if you aren't ready or if you aren't fully accepting, it can turn things ugly and you can act out your own shame on other people. And I think that's what we see in this relationship between these two characters. And, you know, thankfully just, you know, thankfully Colin has Justin, someone who is repeatedly way kinder than Colin deserves um, as a, you know, as an elder really to lead him through these kind of experiments with his own sexuality. Yeah. Wow. Seconded. <laughs> Everything Anne said. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. Well, and and Charlie, I believe in in the in the in the um when you list the um the characters in, in the and the script, of course mm -hmm. the audience doesn't see that hear that part, but you are you are wanting a distinction between the two characters, right? In the casting. Was there yeah. something yeah, no, I, I think that there's, uh, Justin is definitely uh, just like a notch older, like a half a generation older or a quarter generation even. Um, but I think it's that uh, when you're like 18, 19, 20 years old, uh, the difference between someone in their like early 20s or late teens and someone in their late 20s is is really substantial. Like just so much, I think, uh, personal self-discovery and growing up happens in that in that period of your early to mid 20s. Um, and uh, specifically around sexuality, I think that's a period where a lot of people are sort of like coming into their own uh, sexually, um, uh, especially a lot of queer people. Because uh, I know that obviously puberty is the time where generally folks start to come into their own sexually. But um, for queer people who uh, might take longer to come out to acknowledge uh, the sort of bounds of their sexual interests, um, that period gets pushed, I think, into uh, into like late teens, early 20s. Um, and uh, I think we sort of see a little bit of stunted growth. And that's, I think, what we're seeing with the character of Colin um, is somebody whose like sexual development has been perhaps stunted by the culture. It's really interesting. And I think it's, it's, and also just being away at college, I think half, most of the play being set in a college stand, that's like the first time a lot of people are able to kind of mm -hmm. like drop the vestiges of, you know, family life and be able to kind of embrace them, true sell their true selves. And, I wanted to talk real quick about um, the kind of, it, it's kind of just lightly sprinkled into the script, but the idea of religion and Catholicism, how that plays into the shame of the characters. Obviously, um, Justin and Colin are at a Catholic university at Notre Dame, which is also super, you know, prestigious um, for being, you know, such a place of higher learning, but also the, the kind of 
I think it's really beautiful how the characters don't exist within a world of shame. It is somewhat internalized. Mm. Um, and that is something that they kind of have to exercise throughout it, uh, particularly in college. But you see it also in um, Katie, I think, I mean, mentions being raised Catholic and, you know, the connections there. Um, I guess how much of that is, do you think totally plays into it? And as a writer, Charlie, how much of that do you need to highlight or just kind of let sit, if that makes sense? You know what I mean? And kind of let the, the influence kind of play out. I'm not sure if that was actually framed as a question or no, not. No. <laughs> yeah. I, I can start on that and I'd love to hear what other folks have to say as well. But yeah. um yeah, uh, for me, uh, I mean, just speaking personally, like I was raised Catholic and uh, the origins of a lot of my sexual shame I can trace to Catholicism. Um, and uh, so I think, of course, that just comes out through the play and through the characters uh, because I'm ultimately writing from that perspective. Um, and I think, uh, I think I've come to terms with the idea, though, that in this particular play, that that is a, a shade of what is going on, but not necessarily the uh, the primary thing that's going on. I wouldn't want to point at Catholicism and say, this is entirely to blame for every bad thing that Colin does, because um, I don't think that's accurate. Um, I think that Colin bears responsibility for his own actions. Um, I will say this play is part of a cycle of three plays, uh, and the second play digs into Catholicism a lot more. Um, in that play, we see Colin as a 14-year-old, as well as a 34-year-old, um, both periods of his life where he is deeply religious. Um, so uh, this period of his life where he is engaging in kinky sex and sex work is sort of bookended in this other play by a period where he is highly religious. Um, so I think in that play, the element of Catholicism becomes a little more, uh, a little more surface. I'm seeing a premonition of a second episode in relation to this one. <laughs> but uh, you said you wanted to hand it off, uh, have some other people kind of talk about that. Um, yeah. Well, let's pop it over to um, Andrew. What do you, do you have anything to say about kind of the, what we were talking about, the internal kind of shame that we were speaking about from your end as a, an actor kind of inhabiting this role for this type of thing, what does that mean for you and how do you approach that? I suppose. For sure. Uh, this one is actually like very easy. It's mo it, this is most of uh, what I've also experienced. Uh, Cause I, I grew up in um, like a very uh, affluent, very white, very uh, religious suburb um, of a city. Uh, and I feel like, especially when I was growing up there, uh, like sex wasn't talked about much in my family uh, and most of the community. I, I'm, this I feel like exists for most high schools too, but was like very slut shamey. Um, mm. And so uh, it was just not talked about in general. Um, so I think that, and then like my personal life, like being an actor and uh, living like multiple careers uh and so not really coming into my own identity wise until my 20s uh like let's say late 20s even some early 30s uh it, it it's very easy to hop into um right. so uh and i think it's interesting as an actor to play someone who is like in the middle of navigating that um and also just uh, tips that scale into uh, letting like the worst parts of themselves come forward. Mm. Um, uh, it's, we talked, I think also about uh, 
Oh gosh. Hmm. Yeah, but I, I kind of understand what you're saying and in, inhabiting that type of place. Um, if I may, Brandon, what about you? It's well, in regard to like coming, like approaching this character as an actor, is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, and also I think it's an Im- interesting part, and it's certainly, you know, Justin is someone who is more confident in who he is as a full person. And I think. <laughs> in my experience acting, which has been limited, I think that's really hard to play because I think you're always looking for the conflict. I, and I think it just saying like, okay, how do I play someone that's confident in, or at least at peace with oneself. And I'm Mm. at a total fucking loss. Like, (laughs) especially, yeah. Especially when I myself can't, (laughs) I can't say that about myself. It's really um, interesting to approach a character of that magnitude because not only is he, older than I am. So there's that, you know, that actor's ego of like, Oh, I have to play an older character. Do I have to act? Like, should I act older? Should I sound older? You know, that type of thing. See, Um, if you're the chubby kid in high school theater, those are the only parts you get. (laughs) (laughs) But go ahead. (laughs) Um, it was just approaching as an actor. I think a lot of what it was for me is you hit it right on the head was how how do you play this confidence that Justin has? You know, how do you be someone who is settled into themselves? As Anne had mentioned, that J- Justin is comfortable with who he is and um, his kinks within that choice, he's comfortable with it all. And uh, especially me not being a queer person, stepping into a queer person's shoes, but also a queer person's shoes who knows who they are and what they want because it's... Um, I mean, not only did I want to do justice to the character, but I wanted to do it in such a way where I felt like my, you know, small hometown ass wasn't playing into the uh, stereotypes (laughs) of the Mm -hmm. queer community. Because coming into college, I, and this is going to sound so bad, but coming into college, I had only known of two genders. I had only, it was only ever straight, you know, male, female type things is how it went in my Mm -hmm. school, my hometown. Um, so I really had my eyes opened and I really had my heart open to a lot of different identities that I didn't know about. And this is one queer character that I've been granted the privilege to play as well as a couple others in the past. And it's really interesting to explore that identity, especially being someone who doesn't hold that identity. Hmm. Um, not that I try to, how should I say it? Um, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to be a person that's like, oh, I understand because I, you know, I right. played that, <laughs> you know, cause that's not, a, no, that, that's not how that works, mm-hmm. but it helps me, I mean, understand even a fraction of what queer people can go through and mm-hmm. do go through. So I think I was a little bit luckier to have a character who knows what they want because it allows me to play objectives and actions much more clearly mm. versus Colin, someone like Anne says, putting their foot in the pond. I mean, that would terrify me. So yeah. it's, I mean, acting's terrifying to me overall, but approaching Justin from an act, from an actor's perspective, it was really comforting to know that I knew what I wanted, but the hardest part was being confident about that. Knowing mm. that I have no idea what it's like to be a queer man, let alone in their thirties and, you know, 
especially one of like a high status in in modern society a like i my i guess experiences with that is that being queer is still weaponized by non-queer individuals who mm-hmm. are extremely yeah. radical about it so it's I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Never happened to my gay ass. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think that speaks to like uh, what I kind of see is how the audience has an into this play is like how shame gets layered. Like, no, you don't need to have the exact experience of these characters, but I think yeah, not at all. How it shows you is that there's a layer of just like fine, like leaving home for the first time that like Mm -hmm. (laughs) who am I identity shame and then layering on um uncomfortability with sexuality then layering on uncomfortability with how you engage with that sexuality Mm -hmm. and Catholicism like I think there's all these layers and you know that's how we see Katie kind of approach in too is Mm -hmm. uh meeting Colin at some layer of shame with like, oh, I also grew up Catholic. And then, you know, right. Colin mm. and Justin meet each other. So I, that's what I think is something that's really brilliant about the play is it, you can meet it at different levels. That's a wonderful segue, and you should be the host. Um, because <laughs> uh, I was just going to ask about uh, Claire about uh, Katie and, and your interpretation of her. So I think she goes into it sort of, um, you know, this whole interview, she's doing this for her fellowship. She is probably relatively new to sort of actively doing professional grade work in regards to journalism and doing Mm -hmm. interviews. And this is supposed to be sort of her make or break story. So I think she probably goes into it with a lot of preconceptions about who Colin is going to be based on what she's seen online and uh, has also gone into it with some preconceptions as to what she expects, not only from Colin, but what the story is going to turn out to be. She sort of repeatedly says, you know, I, I don't pick the story. I just, I just follow the story. It's wherever it leads me. And I don't think that that's really the case. I think that's a message she's received from her professors or teachers or mentors as to what she's supposed to do. But I do think she kind of comes within with some of these preconceived notions when it comes to this interview. And when that's not panning out how she wants it to and how she expects, I think she becomes reactive to that. And I think to... I mean, going back to this, not to like backtrack and kind of refer back to this Catholicism uh, thing that we were just talking about, but, you know, Catholicism is so synonymous with shame and guilt, you know, Catholic guilt. It's, you know, your basic stereotype. And so, you know, it's this idea that you're born with original sin and, Mm. um, you know, you have to spend your whole life atoning for that and everything you do, um, has to be in regards to that. So, you know, and especially if you're raised in a conservative Catholic household, you're sort of in this bubble. Um, You're sort of aware of the world, but especially if you've gone to Catholic school, there's a lot of things you're very unaware of um, that you don't talk about. 
Um, I remember I went to Catholic school, fifth grade. We were told, oh, there's no dating until you get into high school. You know, we don't, we don't talk about that. You will be in trouble if you even try. So, you know, I can't imagine what would that would, I mean, that's just straight dating. So can't imagine if, you know, you were a queer person. So, you know, I think for Katie, if that was her experience growing up, doing a story like this is kind of, it's sort of a temptation. You know, this is something that's sort of beyond her, her wheelhouse, I think. Um, And she's like, well, you know, I'm out in the world now. I'm woke. I'm going to, you know, push the boundary and sort of push my own um, sort of, yeah, I'm going to sort of push outside of those lines and interview somebody who's not only queer, but who works in the sex industry and try to get this sort of story out of him. And, but not only am I going to try to get the story out of him, I, I'm going to, I'm going to call from him this sort of true, you know, persona. I I want a Mary Magdalene, you know, who we all know and love came from, you know, as a sex worker to, you know, be this follower of Christ. Not that she's pushing that, but I think she's hoping for this like inspiring story. And that's not what she gets from Colin. And the more and more she doesn't have a grasp on who Colin is and the more and more he doesn't give her what she wants, the more and more I think she sort of pushes against that and sort of wants, yeah, she's just not getting what she wants. So she uses different tactics to try to pull that out of him. And when it's just not happening, I think what she's then defaulting to is sort of some unethical shaming. Yeah, definitely. And so, I mean, that's, that's, kind of, I mean, it's not necessarily inherently her fault, I want to say. You know, she's just her own person, and this fellowship's really important to her, and she, you know, that's what she's sort of all about. That's what takes priority, and so for him to jeopardize that, I think that is, like, the worst threat to her life and her ego, that sort of could come come into play. So that was kind of my my thinking overall about sort of the story and and Katie and how how she sort of feels throughout that. That's awesome. One uh, part of the surprise to that too is um, maybe Katie doesn't realize right away. And Charlie, tell me if I'm wrong on this, but like Colin doesn't really do sex work for the money. I mean, that, that is a, probably a, uh, an assumption that, that people go into this line of work to make money. That's their livelihood. In reality, it seems to me Colin doesn't really need it for the money. He's doing it for an entirely different reason. And how does that play into this? Uh, we're talking about shaming and, and, and maybe in um, part of Katie's um, frustration with getting what she was hoping to get out of her story. I know at least on my end, uh, Anne and us talked about uh, uh, like how we romanticize things as well too. Uh, also like talking back to Anne's compartmentalization um, and maybe some like bleed that happens between uh, parts of ourselves that we not might not recognize. Uh, I think Colin like does do it for the money. It is his job. Um, I think there is part of his relationship with Justin that he will always chase or that he uh, continues to try and chase. Um, 
never having, from what it seems like, uh, unpacked it <laughs> in any uh, uh, specific kind of way. Um, so I think even when he takes this story with Katie, the reason that he takes it is because it's a piece about him. Uh, he thinks that it is it is someone is doing uh, like a high profile interview on him and just wants to know who he is. It's not so as soon as she starts talking about Fosta Sesta um, and these like big questions uh, and the morality of things, he just shuts off because it's not a, a part that he's uh, he has ever explored in himself and is ready to. Uh, make the focus of this interview. Um, That's really interesting. Um, I wanted to ask Anne a question real quick about um, this directing process, because it's a bit of a different format. Obviously we're doing this, we we did this audio, but I wanted to ask you specifically um, competition seems to be a really big theme in this piece, just overall, just kind of, you know, it it goes to that line about uh, that Colin says towards the end of his first scene with, Katie about how that's it, it, there's always someone who loses to to paraphrase um in this kind of arrangement how do you like see if I can phrase this the right way how do you approach looking at a scene like the scenes between Justin and Colin that are meant to be for lack of a better term competitive and not let them just turn into like melodrama because there's a lot of fuck yous being traded and a lot of you fucking ass like all that type of stuff and that I think in some, I know as a, like, if I was directing this piece, I think I would look at that and be like, oh, this is a fight. It's not a, you know, a playful, like playing scene and, and, you know, getting into kink. It's so I, I don't know. How did you approach that? I guess. Um, well, I would say something to consider um, because this is an audio production, um, I, I spent a lot of time tracking, um, when are we in scene? When are we negotiating pre-scene? When is someone trying to pull back and step out of scene and try to make that clear? Because on stage, it would be, you know, bodies moving in relation to each other, telling us, right. um, when someone's uncomfortable and when someone is pursuing and engaging. So that was something I definitely considered, but, also, for these characters, those boundaries, one, aren't always clear. And sometimes they don't want them to be. Like, do I agree with Colin's statement of that someone is always a winner and someone's, you know, a loser? I don't agree with that. I don't think that's a healthy way to view. Um, oh, no. but, <laughs> uh, characters aren't perfect and we like them that way. Uh, so I think... Yeah, it all toes various lines and boundaries of when someone wants something to be more aggressive or less aggressive. And that's part of the appeal, too, is that um, there is a danger, there is an edge that you are playing on, which then we see really displayed well when Justin is like, we should have a safe word, and Colin absolutely refuses like that's not only is that a huge red flag but also I think tells us who Colin is in that he um wants this to be exactly like his fantasy he doesn't want to engage in uh the realities of the situation and I think that is something that is reflected with what we just talked about with Katie like both of these people want the thing that they imagine they don't necessarily want to engage with what's in Mm. front of them 
Mm. And for both of these people, that becomes dangerous. That's really interesting. That's really cool. Um, I had not thought about that like that. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Chuck, did you have another question? No, if um, Charlie's willing, to hear more about the trilogy. Has that been, has that, have all three parts been written or are you still, that's still a project or what are the plans for that? Yeah, so I have uh, drafts of all three plays at this point. Um, uh, The second play is called The Exposure Game and it deals with um, online exposure blogs. people who uh, have their like nude photos posted online along with potentially personally identifiable information. Um, A lot of that happens consensually and obviously because it's the internet, a lot of it happens non-consensually. So again, that was sort of the topic of exploration for that play. Um, And then the third play is called FinDom. um, And I actually just finished a draft of that this summer. Um, That's about financial domination and submission. And um, I interviewed a bunch of uh, folks who do financial domination and submission, um, who engage in that practice. Um, And uh, Colin is a minor character in that play, Um, but that play is more of an ensemble piece about the different ways that sex and money intersect. Um, But yeah, I, I would love to at some point hear all of these plays as part of like uh, in the same day or in, you know, in the same like series. Um, I, it would be, I think really exciting to hear how they interact with one another um, because uh, Colin, like I said, is a character in all three plays, but he is not, uh, he is not the main character in the other two plays. Um, and uh, I'm just, I'm very curious to see how that would work. Um, and I don't quite know yet. I think that I've just been enjoying writing in this world and that's why I've, uh, I've written more plays uh, in this cycle, I think is just because I wasn't ready to let go of these characters and these questions in this world yet. It's nice to find that kind of pigeonhole and, and, and pigeonholes a negative term, I suppose, but like, it's nice to kind of find that beat and just walk it for a while where you get into a really nice, I don't know, as a writer myself, I've been working on this trilogy of mob plays, like set in the world of organized crime. And, uh, I don't know. I just, I keep having ideas for the next thing. And I'm like, okay, there's like five of these plays now. We got to not write any more about gangsters, Colin. <laughs> like, <clears throat> but, but I think, um, I mean, when you find a topic like that, though, that you're, that's really important to you. I mean, I've definitely, I think I finished the third play in this quote unquote trilogy and then was like, maybe it's not a trilogy. Maybe it's, maybe it is like a longer cycle because um, I think that one of my, one of the things that I want to do in all three of the plays is, uh, and this is, I I think, like a part of the project of this play and obviously not entirely what this play is about, but I think I do want uh, particularly straight and vanilla people to be able to see kinky queer sex scenes and understand like why it's hot. Um, I I want them to like sort of viscerally understand on some level like that, uh, why it appeals to people um, who who engage in these these kinds of things. Um, Obviously, you know, Colin engages in uh, kinky sex in, in an incredibly unhealthy way. I don't think that uh, any of the encounters that we see in this play are um, ethical or how I would recommend any anyone play out these situations. <laughs> um, but I uh, hope that an audience might be able to see the, uh, the desire there um, and the uh, sexual tension there between these characters and... Um, and, and that it might uh, open their mind a little bit to uh, to that world um, would be would be sort of a goal. That's amazing, and I I think your language is frank enough that it really doesn't spare anything. I could understand um, 
and granted, I, I am am not a queer person, and I am so I don't exactly know the process of this. But I, I suppose I would be hesitant of isolating audience members, and I don't think that is remotely a concern in this piece, or nor should it be really. It kind of puts you in the world, and it makes total sense without any like frills or anything. And that also touches on something that. I was really happy to do this um, script because it is a queer story that is not expressly about a person coming out, like mm. strictly speaking. And while those stories are also very important, they're not the only queer stories worth telling, um, in, in my opinion. Uh, and so I was very happy to, to put this. <laughs> <laughs> Every queer person yeah. nods vigorously. For, for, yeah, for... <laughs> For those, yes, this is an audio format. For those of you listening at home, we have so many queers nodding emphatically. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think that's beautiful. And um, yeah, it's just, uh, I, I'm so happy that we got to uh, be a part of this. Um, uh, I just wanted to ask, what was this that I have written down? My handwriting's atrocious. Um, so I think there is something to the notion also if i can go back to kind of the modes in which these games play out between both justin and colin and then when katie gets involved kind of in this own separate way um it seems to me somehow analogous to crafting any kind of story on stage which i think makes this Mm. kind of thing especially theatrical in a way um but there's so much talk also about very modernized ideas like the internet and stuff so I guess what can we speak a little bit about? Uh, this is where I lose my train. It happens to all of us guys. This is not, don't feel bad. So um, I guess it seems inherently theatrical. So I guess where is the, I have to phrase this as a question, right? I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to get at. I um, I mean, I yeah. I feel like, not to assume what your question is, but just to sort Please of jump do. off. Um, um. <laughs> I, I think that, like, there is a relationship between kink play and theater. Um, and I think that's sort of reflected in the title of this play, which is right. uh, Humiliation Play. Like, that both theater doing a play and mm-hmm. engaging in uh, in kink play are their forms of play. And like what we do is set up rules and set up boundaries and uh, create a space in which to safely play. And then we uh, are able to explore within that space um, is, is how good I think kink play and, and good theater happens. Um, so I, I, there seems to be something, can, some sort of connection there where I think that theater is a medium particularly well suited to exploring um, to exploring this type of like sexual play. That is exactly the answer I wanted yet. I could not find the question. So thank <laughs> you. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Chuck, do you have another question? You have questions? Um, I think you guys have hit pretty much everything. All right. <clears throat> um, I was just I, curious. Go ahead. <clears throat> this is more, well, this will be more of the wrap up. I'm just curious if everybody, what everyone's future theater plans are coming up or did you have some other questions Colin before that I don't believe I do no I think that's everything that I wanted to cover yeah so what What is on the docket I guess is what Chuck is asking for each of you um theatrically in this different world that we find ourselves in right now um and if you'd like to kick it off 
Sure. Um, so how Charlie and I met uh, is that I'm a MFA candidate in directing at the University of Iowa. So um, I actually have a podcast, another podcast play coming up um, that's in collaboration with the Pride House on campus called I'm Writing to You Today. Uh, and that's a experience where you will download it um, as a solo audience member, COVID safe. Uh, and uh, it'll lead you on a walk through campus while you listen to historical queer love letters. Um, with at the end, uh, you'll have the opportunity to write a love letter to an elder, to your community, to a lover, um, to kind of map how we place memories onto place and um, the value of spending time with your ancestors. That is really cool. fucking awesome, man. Like, <laughs> I don't have another way. To, I, I, once again, I, we can see each other, but if you're listening at home, Charlie and I just both went, oh, like in our <laughs> That is really cool. That's, that's so beautiful. Oh, my God. I, let me know when that happens. We're gonna, I'm making plans with you now over a live podcast. But anyway. Um, sure, that'll be happening in March, and I'm, I can send you the info when I have it. Yeah, wonderful. That sounds amazing. Um, Charlie, do you have any uh, other projects that you're working on for anything in particular that's going to be coming up or anything like that? Um, so I uh, um, I have a play that I'm going to hear read aloud in workshop next week, which is sort of where my head is at um, in the the playwrights workshop at uh, at University of Iowa. Um, and it's the longest play I've ever written. So I'm very uh, nervous to hear it aloud. Um, and then uh, I'll, have a, I'll have a reading in the new play festival in, uh, in May. And so I'm looking forward to that. And I'm not sure exactly what that play is gonna be just yet, but um, I, think I, I think I might be doing a uh, solo show for that um, cool. because it feels like this, uh, this moment, like COVID feels suited to that kind of uh, work. Um, Yep. Or maybe not. I don't know. I'm going to find out. Um, but yeah, I am just, uh, I'm mostly focused on just uh, school and, and teaching and, and my classes for the next couple months um, as we as we wait for a vaccine to, uh, to be distributed. Yeah, to, to make its way to us young folks. Um, I'm, isn't it fun when you write your, I've had the same, this experience. I had my longest script that I'd written and I sent it to someone and the subject line in the email was just like, I'm sorry, it's long. Like, <laughs> I just <laughs> like, I feel like playwrights are inherently a little self-hating and just like, well, yeah, we, we read my play just seems so grovelly, I think. And then every time it's like longer than 90 pages, I'm always like, sorry. Um, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, Andrew, do you have anything on the, on the, in the dugout, I suppose? I don't know what words are anymore. I'm sorry. I don't know what sports are. I don't, I don't get <laughs> um, Coming up soon, the I suppose. I don't yeah, know. In, the in the fall of, uh, in the fall of 2025, um, when <laughs> um, uh, so I live in Chicago. I think I'm the only person in this crew that is in Chicago. Um, and I have my own theater project called One on One Chicago, uh, which is all short shows. Uh, they're about 15 minutes long, depends per piece, uh, that are all performed for one person at a time. Uh, so uh, that is kind of always in process, always have things cooking, um, but can't be done uh, super well mm. right now because I cannot be in proximity with other people. Right. Um, so sorting through that. Um, but you can find that on Instagram at one on one shy Chicago, one on one shy or one on one shy.com. Um, 
But otherwise, that's it. And to any artists that do listen to this, it is not important if you do have anything coming up. Uh, take that input. <laughs> take as much input as you write right now. Output is not important if it if it's uh, not your thing right now. So don't Oof. feel bad about it. I'm going to stamp that on my forehead. <laughs> I look in the mirror like I know there's such a weird like pressure to put stuff out right now because you're like well I've got all this time and then Shakespeare wrote King Lear it's like well good for him <laughs> cool like I just tried to get a job so I could have health insurance I wasn't paying for out of pocket that was right? my uh, that was my Facts. year <laughs> oh, yeah. it's been rough for all of us which is kind of the impetus of putting out this this show right now so we all have something to do so thank you for doing something. Thank you, you know. Um, and you, you were right. I, I, that, that should be a message to all artists right now. Like focus on, you know, keeping yourself healthy in all ways. And then, uh, yeah. So, well, I appreciate you saying that. That's just, that's important to hear. Um, you Literally though, I'm not like blowing smoke. I heard that and I just went, huh. Like, I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> good. You're right. I'm going to take a fucking month to edit this. Um i'm just kidding um claire do you have anything on the horizon for you at the moment i do and i'm very lucky to say that um and i feel very lucky to say that Uh, so i'm going to be in a production of when the messenger is hot um it's a play by i'm gonna hopefully pronounce your last name correct laura eason and it's um, mm-hmm. adapted from um, a book of short stories by Elizabeth Crane. Um, I'm going to be doing that through Theater Midwest, which is a theater company based out of Des Moines. Um, so it'll be my first time working with them. So I'm really excited about that. And I'm also look, really looking forward to the fact that we have a little bit longer of a rehearsal schedule. So I, I'm looking forward to having like lots of rehearsal. That's something I feel like I've missed out on mm. a lot. So um, during these COVID times. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to doing that. Yeah. I think we, we took for granted uh, pre COVID. I think we took for granted being in a room with a bunch of like-minded people who are all working towards the same thing. And just doing this with you guys has been a a nice boost uh, for me anyway, just to, you know, get doing some stuff. Um, Like it's that, uh, comedian uh oh taylor tomlinson she's kind of blown up during the pandemic she's awesome if you haven't seen her special it's called quarter life crisis it's on netflix and there's a big thing going out where uh she just goes just give me a fucking project like i need a project um that was i think that special dropped it was almost too prophetic um it dropped like a week before covid hit in the states um but uh anyways huge digression sorry Brandon. No, that's all right. <laughs> no, no, it's, it is. It is. I'm super happy to hear that this is uplifting for you because I feel the exact same way. You know, COVID sucks so damn much. Um, yeah. Do you have anything? Been, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah. Um, it's been fun. I Last week, I actually just finished something with ICCT. And then tomorrow, we will actually, well, I will, uh, the cast and I, me and two other couple of the people will be starting up a uh, rehearsal process for um, Generation Candyland, a fable, which is a play through the University of Iowa. And I will be getting my first COVID test Friday. And if that, if, if everyone passes, we will be in person on Sunday in oh, yeah. uh, maybe theater. Yay. So yeah, that is super exciting to be around human beings <laughs> again. So leave the crib every once in a while. Oh, it's super nice. 
Yeah. Um, did you, so can I ask, did you do, it was it the evening of oddity that you did over yes. at ICCT? My, mm-hmm. the dude who wrote those, Josh Rouse, Josh Rouse is my uh, college roommate. <laughs> was my Really? Roommate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and he always complains like you got, you're always working on plays. Do you really think you're going to get any of those plays up? And I was like, and now you're right in place. He didn't say that. I'm making it. <laughs> um, <laughs> he was writing a novel when I lived with him. He's a super talented guy. Josh, we'll do your really play is. if you come on. The house is open. Um, yeah, he's listening to this right now. He might be the one person listening to it. Um, but no. Um, yeah, that's all I've got for you guys. Thank you so much for being a part of this process. Thank you to Charlie for your script and for keeping us all in check. And the cast. Claire, Andrew, Brandon, you guys were awesome. Chuck, thank you for helping out this talk back, guys. Um, it was a really fun time. I'm so happy that we all came in. And uh, yeah, be well. Thanks. Thanks for thank having you so us. so much, Colin. Of course. <laughs> Bye.